Good morning. I'd like to welcome you today. It's a good day to come into the house of the Lord. My name is Bob Lynch, and I'm up here today because, as many of you know, our pastor, Joe Franzone, is on sabbatical for the summer months. And some of us that attend here and some missionaries we support continue to fill the pulpit in his absence. Uh, the last time I brought a message, I mentioned that when I was, I was younger and involved in sports, a good way to get rid of nerves was to bump shoulders with somebody. Well, after the service, and I won't mention his name, Scott Wester said he would happily oblige. <laughs> it's an honor and a privilege for me to bring a message from, from the Word of God today, and very humbling. It's one thing to teach and another thing to do, so it's always very challenging. At this time, I guess I enjoyed the music, so I'd like to thank the musicians. They always do a great job in the sound people. And um, for all the people that do the different functions here at WCC, it's, it's such a blessing. And, and it's such a, for Patty and I, when we came, such a, a church, we had no doubt that when we came here that this is where God wanted us to be. So we appreciate all the, all the different things you do here. Keep up the good work. I'd also like to thank my wife of almost 38 years now, Patty, for her love and faithfulness and encouragement. And I look forward to God commending her on a job well done. Also, being a mother to our three children who are grown and all that encompassed, especially me being on shift work for 36 years and not being around the house too often, and a lot of times the burden of raising the children and bringing them, and all that came upon her. So if you remember, we still have a lot of guys working shift work here and, and pray for their wives and them and that their family situation will be able to run smoothly. Um, today's text is Psalm 25. And before we read, and that is actually in 393 in the, in the church Bibles that are in the Seats ahead of you. But before we read, let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for all that you are, for your love and faithfulness and your ability to orchestrate all that happens in the world and in our lives. We would ask you now to open our hearts to receive and to teach your truth and bring glory to your name today. For you, Jesus, are the author and finisher of our faith. We ask that you help grow that faith today as we hear your word and apply it to our lives. We also pray for our government and our leaders. We'll see that you would humble them and help them to submit to you, you who embody all wisdom and truth. We also pray for those families and people that are afflicted with illness today that you would help the physicians to have wisdom to meet their needs and that we know you're the great healer. So we would ask you to do that work. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 25, 22 verses, quite a long reading, so bear with me as you you listen. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame but they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse. 
Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all the day long. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. And remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instruct, instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. He will spend his days in prosperity, and his descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confines in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have multiplied. Free me from my anguish. Look upon my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how my enemies have increased and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescued me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope is in you. Redeem Israel, O God, from all their troubles. I don't know if you noticed, but the psalm is a little choppy. It kind of reads a little bit like Proverbs does to me, where it goes from one theme to another. And it could be because it's written in the acrostic form, which is something I'd never heard of, so I don't expect many to know, but maybe you do. Um, The acrostic form means that every verse starts with the letter of the alphabet, and in this case, starts with the first letter, and then the next verse starts with the second letter, and it goes all the way through the 22nd or the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Um, for a lot of us who are not predisposed with a tremendous desire or ability to understand all the concepts of the English language, but can appreciate some, we're more concerned with the truth that will help us to know God better and better be equipped to live for him but it still is an interesting way to do a song, and one I probably wouldn't take up the challenge to do. Um, So anyway, in verse 1, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. We see David here, a man after God's own heart. Could anything that God would say about someone be better than that? I look at his life and I see great qualities, humility, humility, compassion, and the one thing I thought about there was when Jonathan was killed, he had a son named Mephishobeth. I'm not close, but anyway, um, this boy was very crippled and really couldn't take care of his own life. Well, David took him in in his own home and took care of him and promised that his home would be, would be Mephishobeth's home for as long as David was alive. 
Um, David had tremendous respect for divine authority, tremendous faith, and as we see in this psalm, a dependence on God we can all learn from. Yet he was just a man like us in that time in great need when times get really tough. And as we see here, if we knew half of what was going on, we can see why he had nowhere else to turn but to God. Many times I've heard people say during really big trials that it's actually easier to trust because they recognize immediately that it's just way too big for them to handle on their own way. We would be wise to recognize that about smaller things also. We don't know exactly what is prompting David to seek God here, but it could be as he is fleeing from Saul or Absalom. Saul, who wanted to kill him and to prevent him from becoming king, and Absalom, his son, from revolting and stealing the kingdom from him. When David didn't kill Saul when he had the chance, it expressed to me reverence for God in not taking life into his own hands and not hurting God's anointed because he knew that would have been wrong. How easy it is for us sometimes to criticize those in authority over us rather than pray for them. We easily can get wound up emotionally, and that can get us out of our game plan if we're not careful. When I was a young, scrawny kid, I was teased relentlessly for a couple of years. Being somewhat sensitive added to the tormentor's pleasure. My dad told me best to stand up for myself. But as I did that, I found myself picking up myself off the ground more often than not. Uh, it didn't go real well. It was very embarrassing and painful, so I always have had a soft spot for kids that have been bullied a little bit growing up. I just remember, after a couple of years, I just really wanted it to stop. I know that's not really a manly thing to say, but also I can identify with David's plight here as he's being relentlessly pursued, had a chance to take Saul's life, and didn't do it. I don't know how many of you are familiar with that part of Israel's history, but Saul was jealous and was just not going to let David go. He just would not submit to God. Um, The hate took a tremendous amount of time and energy and resources away from his being a good king and from the nation Israel as they fought each other. As a warrior and a man that had killed many men, he had many opportunities to kill Saul, but trusted God to take care of all the possibilities of Saul's continued pursuit in his own future. So many times in life we see people that just aren't dealing very well with life. They turn to the bottle, drugs, anger, hate, or anything that will alleviate the pain or hopelessness and bring it to an end. Families and whole cultures being decimated and still they won't come to the Savior and the onslaught continues. But whatever David's situation here, he comes to the end of himself and he's seeking God's help. So he lifts his soul to God, places his trust in him to deliver him. Can we relate to this or not? I've heard it said many times that God won't give us any more than we can handle. And I don't know if I believe that anymore. 
I think that thinking comes from a verse in 1 Corinthians 10 where it states that God will not tempt us beyond what we are able to bear. But that is talking about temptation to sin. And in the previous verses described how many died at the hand of God because of sexual immorality, pagan revelry, and what hits kind of close to home is grumbling. But God promises we don't have to fall into these sins as he provides a way to escape. But what I do believe is that God gives us often more than we can handle. And the sooner we recognize that, the better. In ministry, in parenthood, sickness, death, many facets of life, is it not better to say we just can't handle it and open up our eyes to the help and power of God? For Paul says, when I am weak, then am I strong. We think we can do it ourselves. We are fooling ourselves. Our leaders are fooling themselves. We're empty. We can do nothing without him. This is exactly where God leads us sometimes to show us his ability alone, how wise we would be to cooperate with God as he brings us through these deep waters. And we all know that water is a requirement for living things. As I was writing this, I was in our living room looking out the window and the clouds just opened up and it just started pouring. And I realized it wouldn't take long before that type of rain would be devastating. But for us, children of God, those of us who have trusted Christ as our Savior, all these trials that enter our lives are Father filtered. And what that means is that nothing that comes into our life happens without God knowing and allowing it. It's always meant for our good. And through these times, we can learn to trust his character and promises. In fact, I believe real faith, real faith trusts God even when things appear to be going wrong. Because the reality is loved ones still die, family and friends still get sick, Marriages break or get stressed, and people can self-destruct. It was, since the fall, always going to be a sin-cursed world. But as Dan showed us last week in Psalm 23, Jesus walks with us through those darkest valleys. As David waits on God to deliver him, he asks God not to let him be put to shame, which God answers in verse 3, God promises in verse 3 that, his trust and patience will be rewarded and he will be not and he will not be put to shame. He will not be embarrassed because God will come to his aid. The word shame here can be seen in a somewhat contrasting way in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 where Jesus scorned the shame he was about to endure to secure our salvation. The crown of thorns, spitting, ridicule, false accusations, and eventually the excruciating crucifixion. I don't know that we'll ever fully be able to understand all he did for us. For he took the shame that we deserved for the joy that was set before him. As a son of God, he let mere humans spit and gnarl and defame him. And that was the will of the Father for him to go through that. He could have called the host of heaven to rescue him, but he did not. The shame talked about in Hebrews is not the result of wrongdoing, 
The shame comes from perfect humility before God. What about us? Are we willing to take on the shame we would by identifying with Jesus Christ as one of his followers? Sometimes we should be ashamed if we don't. Are we afraid we will not be thought of in a way we want? Or afraid for whatever reason we use to justify our quietness? Maybe we're just not prepared. Maybe we've never really prayed and and asked God to help us in that way because, frankly, I have done this many times and I've experienced, miraculously, God bringing events into our lives that open doors for us. But I think as in every work of God, it has to be bathed by prayer and having a game plan. Sometimes we just let our fears keep us from doing what we know is right. Remember when after Jesus was taken away from appearing before the Sanhedrin, where Peter was accused of being with him and seen with him, and Peter denied it vehemently. Later he felt remorse and went out and wept bitterly. God says that the feet of those who bring the gospel are beautiful and not to hide the gospel, but rather to speak the truth in love so that the eyes of the blind might be opened. We later see Peter in Acts being beaten and jailed for preaching in his name, but then rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for his sake. So what a change we see in Peter in such a short time because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Because persecution will will come. The more ungodly our nation becomes, the worse it will probably get. The Bible says we are ordained to believe in him. It is also for us to suffer with him. Philippians 1.29 For it is granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. We don't always want to hear that. But in this type of suffering, there is no shame but rejoicing and sharing that kind of suffering with God and fellowship with him. Thank God we have a Savior in life who truly cares for us and death, who loves us with an everlasting love. One of the verses that comes to mind is 1 Peter 4.19 then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. The important thing for us to discern is to make sure we're suffering for God's will and not our own sinful choices or wrong beliefs. Again, we naturally don't seek suffering, but God is so good to reward us with his presence and joy when we taste victory during those times. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying by any stretch that I have mastered this, but I'm learning, albeit slowly at times. Back to the text in 2b, and I decided to just kind of do this message in a few verses because it's probably been 15 minutes and I got through half a verse, but otherwise we'd be here for a while. So we're going to probably get through about eight verses. Um, He's asking God to defeat his enemies we would be wise to do the same. Our enemies may be external, like David's, or they could be internal. Maybe uh, we are our own worst enemy, as is often the case. Individually or corporately, 
as a church body, maybe it's our discontentness. Maybe our gossip, our doubt, our selfishness. So many things the enemy can use against us. For we wage a battle against spiritual darkness, and we need to put on the whole armor of God, as you mentioned in Ephesians 6. Especially as we move forward and not let the arrows pierce our back in retreat. God challenges to use our weapons in battle and our members to edification to build each other up and not to tear down. So we as God's children may struggle at times, but we are guaranteed a victory because of the cross and the resurrection. And through the Spirit, we wait for our unseen hope of eternal life with Christ. But as seen in verse 3, those who deal treacherously will have no excuse. The shame in verse 3b comes when those who yield to sin always are found wanting. There is pleasure of some kind in sin temporarily, and, and that's true. But down the road, it always brings shame and regret, both in this life and hereafter. And depending on your version, there is a hint here that even as we lead a godly life and give no one an excuse, they still may deal with us treacherously because of their unbelief and their rejection of Christ. How absolutely and utterly hopeless it will be for people when their life is over to have to stand before God and realize for all time in rejecting the light that God gives and refusing the tremendous gift of salvation that they will be condemned. It's almost too much to take in and should give us tremendous motivation with God's help to do what we can do. And yes, we know it's God's work, God's work to open people's eyes and heart, but we are co-workers with him and have been given the yoke of working together with God and each other to accomplish this work. It's a tremendous privilege that God entrusts to us, but also much responsibility. And I'm not even beginning to say that we save people, but God finds it in his will to use us, which is very humbling. Verse 4 and 5, and I will read those if I can find them. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior. Part of trusting and hoping and waiting on God is not passive. As we wait on God for direction, There is as valuable a breath, the seeking of God through prayer and searching his word. Desperate times lead to desperate measures. So he is pleading with God. And I see David here in a frame of mind where it's like a child that is trying to get a candy bar or an apple out of his mom or dad's hand and he's He reaches up and grabs, and the mother's kind of holding back and takes another finger away, and and finally the mother releases that apple to his hand. And I think that's how God wants us to approach prayer sometimes. It's almost like he wants to see, do you really want this? Do you need this? Is this my will? And he wants to give us his answers right away, but he also wants to, to make us pursue him. 
David says, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your ways. Guide me in your truth. For you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. How often our paths can be changed or altered by the light of God's word. Psalm 119, 9-11, which I know a lot of you know and have probably memorized since you were little kids. How can a young man keep his way pure? Or an old man? (laughs) By living according to your word. I seek you with my whole heart. Do not let me stray from your commandments. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Life getting a little stale? Put these verses into practice, bathe with prayer, and God will bless that effort, and you will see your life change. Remember that saying, just say no? I just say, keep on seeking. Also in Psalms it says, your lamp is a word unto my feet and a light unto my path. How many of us, when we were younger, memorized that verse and can see an image of a person holding a lamp in front of them as they walk through the darkness one step at a time? So as always, the Word of God has great value and timely advice that the Spirit of God uses in our lives. Verse 4 and 5 has a tremendous more amount to say, but it's time for another day. In verse 6, David asked God to remember the mercies he's bestowed about on him throughout his whole life and also to the nation of Israel because from of old indicates back a long time in their history. A good definition of mercy that I heard has stuck with me over the years, and that is mercy is getting what we don't deserve and not getting what we do deserve. It's a little bit of a brain teaser, and for me I had to repeat it a couple times, so I'll repeat it to you. Mercy is getting what we don't deserve and not getting what we do deserve. How often we sin, and God's mercy is fresh every morning as we apply it. If you've blown it and God is working and bringing something to your mind, go ahead and confess it right now. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A tremendous verse to me, and as I read that verse, I had to bow my head and, and ask God to forgive a few things. Maybe we need to make a phone call and just apologize for what we might have said or done, or maybe what wasn't done, and get something right with those that we rub shoulders with. Whatever the case, God won't give up on us, but it always brings Him glory to obey Him. For some reason, in verse 7, David ponders his youth and his rebellious ways and asks asks God to remember them not because of the fact that God is love and only he can forget our sin and rebellion. What an absolute privilege to be a child of God and have a relationship with one who is so kind and merciful. And our slate and our hearts can be cleaned and free of guilt It's such a blessing. There's a part of God's creation that isn't finished yet, in a sense, creating something out of nothing even yet today. As he spoke into existence, the heavens and the earth and all life, so he brings us who are dead in our sins and makes us a new creation, created in Christ Jesus for all good works. 
And we hope to see many people being born and, and reborn into new life. Verse 8 says that good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he, he instructs sinners in his ways. And I think I know myself and the rest of us well enough to know we all qualify here. Humility and a teachable spirit is very necessary. If we are empty of our own ways, he will teach us. All scripture is God-breathed and is used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training that the workmen of God need not to be ashamed and thoroughly equipped for every good work. When I was a young fella, about 12, just a couple years ago, my dad dropped me off, and I was supposed to walk around a local lake, and he was going to pick me up before dark. Well, you guessed it, the darkness came before my youthful legs completed the journey. Thankfully, on the back side of a lake was a logging trail. I think my training kicked in because I remember before I started running to unload the gun, but then it dawned on me I'd be pretty easy bait if one of these bears really came to life. Thinking at that time, rational thinking was gone. Boy, was I scared. I was reminded of this when I read in our little devotional, the daily bread that we have, I think it was early this week or last week, about a young fellow that was delivering papers, and he would spend a lot of time in the dark by a graveyard, and it scared the daylights out of him. So during his route, there was a street light, and he would go and stand under it, and he would feel his fears and doubts dispel as he stayed in the light. Um, so it is that our lives in, are like that at times. Our fears and imaginations distort our view of God and reality. But as we look into the light of God's word and trust his promises, the darkness is dispelled. This psalm has an ebb and a flow of trials, fear, dependence, and promised security. By the end of the psalm, we see David in anguish again. In verse 16, affliction and distress, and 17, lonely and afflicted. It's a part of the picture we go through. There are times of great joy and great sorrow, with the greater part of just living being sandwiched in between. Verse 9 and 10, good and upright is the Lord. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. Whether he is correcting or admonishing us, or we're basking in the light of his goodness, God is always good. For those of us who have trusted Christ, we have the promise of Romans 8.35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, and this is Paul writing, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered, considered sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
We may not be in big trouble right now, but as it says in Job's, man is born to trouble as sure as the sparks fly upward. Trouble's not far away, but it still can be our friend. David finds, as we do, in the very character of God, the person who is totally trustworthy and able to carry us along. Try also to keep in perspective in the light of eternity that Paul calls his trials light afflictions. It's a good perspective. If Paul calls all the things he went through light afflictions, what does that say about our afflictions? Sometimes we take ourselves too seriously, eh? A good dose of humor brings healing to our bones. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Thank you.